Hey everyone, and welcome to the Flatlining Podcast from Fulcrum Strategies. I'm Matthew Handley, and with me as he has been is our president and CEO, our fearless leader, Ron Howergan. Ron, how are you, sir? I'm great, thank you. Uh, we're talking about an issue today that is very relevant to many of our clients in North Carolina. I know I've fielded questions about this from some of my clients. Ron, I have no doubt that you have as well. And that is, what the heck is going on with the state's Medicaid expansion? Because uh, if you recall, several months ago, uh, Governor Roy Cooper went on uh, a lot of the mainstream media outlets, including uh, MSNBC and other cable outlets, to do a victory lap that Medicaid expansion was finally coming to the Tar Heel State. Uh, and here it is being held up yet again by, of all things, a casino. And uh, we'll get, we'll dive into that and what that means here in a minute. But Ron, real quick, let's do a little bit of a background on um, uh, Medicaid in general and the Medicaid expansion, because this is not a new thing, Medicaid expansion. It just took North Carolina a long time to do it. But back and even further, Medicaid obviously is for those who are um, th their income is not high enough to qualify uh, for, uh, you know, they can't afford insurance on their own. Um, they may not qualify for uh, a, a subs uh, subsidy through the Affordable Care Act. Um, so Medicaid really is for, for those who probably need health care the most, um, but it creates challenges, doesn't it, for providers? It does. It significantly does. I mean, you know, we've got two large sort of federal programs to provide health care, Medicare for the elderly mm -hmm. and Medicaid primarily for the lower income individuals who, who, as you rightfully pointed out, probably need it the most, both of those populations. Um, and, you know, there's some other ways you can qualify for Medicaid, certain disabilities, but it's for people who, who pretty dramatically need it and couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. um, but it presents significant challenges to providers, um, largely economic challenges. What, what a lot of people outside of the industry don't understand is the reimbursement rates for Medicare and then for Medicaid and then what they would get for, let's say, a, a Blue Cross or a Cigna or United patient are very, very different. Um, and let me sort of put it in perspective this way, and I'll, I'll use a, something that most of us are familiar with and that I'm fond of, which is the automobile industry. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you and I buy, a, I'll take a Ford F-150, you right. know, their most highest selling truck. Yep. Okay. Most of those are, we're going to pay around $40,000, depending on what options or the long bed, et cetera. But let's say we pay 40000 for that truck. All right. Let's say the person walks in behind us and says to the dealer, hey, I'm I'm 68 years old and I'm on a fixed income, so I can't afford to pay $40,000. I want to pay $28,000 for that truck. And the person behind them says, hey, I, I'm, I'm younger, but I, I have a family of four and I only make $55,000 a year. So I, I can't afford to pay $40,000 for your truck. I want to pay $21,000 for your truck or almost half mm -hmm. of what the, what the guy in front of me, you know, the first guy paid. Now in that scenario, the second two people are not likely to drive away with a truck Yeah, because that dealer would say, well, I, you know, I, I may feel for you that you're elderly or that you don't make, you know, more than $55,000 a year, but I, you know, I had to buy this truck from the, from the manufacturer for a certain price. And that's below what I paid for it. I can't sell trucks and lose money. Yeah. That's a bad way to run a business. Mm -hmm. So how does that relate to Medicaid and Medicare? Well, the numbers I used are not fictitious. Okay. $28,000 is roughly in essence, what Medicare would be paying for that. If I consider that truck to be an office visit, the average office visit or the average physician service in this country 
the the commercial PPO, the blue at Signal United, pays about 43% more than what Medicare pays. So in other words, they pay $28,000 for a $40,000 truck. Mm-hmm. Medicaid pays even less than that in this state. That's where I come up with the $21,000. So Medicaid pays about half of what a commercial payer would pay for that office visit or that surgery or that physician service. And that $55,000, that's going to be the new limit for a family of four to qualify for Medicaid. So that's where that income number came from. So think about physician offices as a business, and they are a business. Right now, they're selling their product for 43% less to the elderly and almost half of what they would collect for that product from the poor. That creates a pretty significant economic burden. And with the expansion of Medicaid in North Carolina, it will cover more Medicaid individuals. But some of those individuals are going to go from maybe having a Blue Cross plan or a Cigna plan to having Medicaid, which means they're going to start buying their truck for half the price of of what they would otherwise pay for it or their insurance company would otherwise pay for it. So it is a significant challenge. I think we're very lucky in this country that physicians a lot of times act with their hearts rather than their wallets. Because from a purely economic perspective, um, they shouldn't be telling, selling trucks for that price. And if they mm-hmm. weren't doctors, they wouldn't. Right. I don't know of any other business that would do that like physicians do it. So that's the challenge yeah. of, of Medicaid. And, and as a quick aside, and, and we've talked about this before in the program, and I'm sure every physician listening is familiar with this. This is one of the reasons why commercial contracts have to be higher uh, than Medicare rates, in part because it, you have to be able to subsidize your business you have to subsidize all those that you're losing money on uh, to be able to actually pay your nurses, pay your administration staff, pay your billing people. Um, it's not just, uh, we we always joke about the greedy, greedy doctor. It's not the greedy, greedy doctor. It's all the people that the greedy, greedy doctor is hiring uh, mm-hmm. and supporting the local economy that way. Um, so going back to that, you, you talked about that some people from a coming are, are going to come from a commercial plan or possibly an exchange plan um, on to Medicaid. Um, just as someone who may not be quite as familiar with it, why, why would someone who is offered, uh, say, say they're offered insurance to their employer, why would they be eligible to switch to Medicaid or would they be eligible to switch to Medicaid? Uh, They would be if their income is, is below the income level. Medicaid doesn't have a, a check, um, like the subsidies for the affordable care plan to say, do you have coverage offered to you? The Affordable Care Plans, the Affordable Care Act plans, the exchange plans, in order for you to get the subsidy, you know, you have to say, well, no, I don't have coverage offered to me. My mm-hmm. employer doesn't offer it or I don't have a job or whatever. Medicaid doesn't have that. It's purely an income level. And so let's say you're working, you know, a, a job at Walmart and, you know, you're working 40 hours a week, but you're only making $50,000 a year. You got a family of four and you can buy insurance through Walmart, but they pay and I'm just picking on Walmart. I don't know what their benefits are, but let's say they pay 80% of what it costs for the single subscriber and you have to pay the other 20% plus covering your family. That's what a lot of employers do. Um, So it costs you a pretty significant chunk out of your paycheck if you want to buy that insurance. And lo and behold, Medicaid expansion happens and you can get Medicaid for free because of your income level. Well, why would you buy something through your employer when you can get it for free. And that's where some of these people may flip out from being covered by a Blue Cross or a Cigna or United over to Medicaid because suddenly it becomes free. And I don't blame them for doing that. They absolutely should do it. But their doctor will go from seeing you on one day 
for a price of, you know, let's take a, a, a regular office visit, you know, they might be going to seeing you one day and getting $150 for that office visit. And then the next day when you're Medicaid, they get significantly less, mm-hmm. half of that, um, 70, 80 bucks. So, you know, that's why people will switch from cover, being covered by like a PPO insurance right. to Medicaid. Then that leads to this next question is obviously you, you have people that need the help. You need, need Medicaid. Otherwise mm-hmm. it wouldn't exist. Oh, sure. um, so what's the argument then for expanding it to more individuals, to, to raising the income uh, limit to what you could qualify for for Medicaid? So there's, there's several arguments. Um, now, one of the arguments, if you're um, at a state or a governor like Cooper, and, and, and I will tell you that, you know, John Kasich, when he was governor of Ohio, made the exact same argument. He's a Republican. Mm-hmm. That the federal government is paying for this. And Kasich's argument was, look, if the federal government wants to send me money for Ohioans, I'm going to take it. Because mm-hmm. it's good for Ohio. So one, one of the arguments is, hey, the, the vast majority of this funding is coming from the federal government. Why not take it to help North Carolinians? There's also arguments to say that not everybody that gets comes under this expansion is going to be switching from one form of coverage to another. Many of these people have no coverage. They're the uninsured. Okay? So they get insurance for the first time. That's a good thing. Um, the people who do switch from being covered, that, that fictitious family that I talked about that works at Walmart, sure. it's good for them. You know, they have now more disposable income because they're not paying a bunch of money out of their pocket for health insurance. That disposable income is good for the economy. They're going to buy things with it rather than buying health insurance. They're going to maybe buy a new car or be able to afford a bigger apartment or, you know, whatever. Um, so there's a lot of, of um, reasons. Medicaid tends to have significantly better benefits in that there's much less out-of-pocket expense for um, for covered services. So somebody might be able to get something that is elective done. You know, my knee has been hurting me for a long time, but I have a deductible or a coinsurance and I can't afford that. But now I'm under Medicaid. I can't afford it. Right. Um, so I'm going to get that done. So there's a lot of reasons to expand Medicaid, um, you know, once the funding has already been approved and it has, the federal government's approved the funding. Let's talk about uh, a question that I've received from one or two of my clients, and, and that is, can the state handle uh, expanding Medicaid? Because I, I know there's always concern about whether or not uh, the, fe- the federal government or the state government is able to actually, um, you know, maintain a website where they can take enrollee, take enrollment information and be able to actually pay the claims on time and all these sorts of things. Do you think the state of North Carolina is prepared to, to take on as many... Uh, new Medicaid patients as they're estimating? Um, yeah. And, and the biggest reason, not that I have enormous faith in any form of government being able to implement things, and um, is that, remember, we're in a state where we've already gone to managed Medicaid, where the vast majority of Medicaid individuals are enrolled in in a, you know, either a, a Blue Cross, a United, a Centene, a, you know, one of these managed Medicaid plans. So, they're really the ones who have the issue of taking on the extra enrollment and paying claims, et cetera. And those companies, this is what they do. Right. Um, so, you know, for them, it's not that going to be that big of an increase of enrollment or claims processing, and they should be able to handle it fairly easily. Will there be some bumps in the road as these people, some of these people enroll to Medicaid for the first time and try to get through the paperwork or switch coverage? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But those bumps happen right now as people qualify for Medicaid for the first time um, and have to go through that through that process. So I don't think that's a being able to absorb it is a is a concern. I I don't I don't have. Okay. Well, and and we we've talked about that a little bit before. And down at the bottom, um, 
uh, of our notes here. I, ha- I had a question about Blue Cross North Carolina. I'll skip to that now just because you mentioned the, the managed Medicaid stuff. Since Blue Cross North Carolina manages, I, I would assume, probably the vast majority of the state's, state's Medicaid patients as opposed to some of the other smaller <coughs> payers, um, with their decision to act more like a for-profit insurance company and with the state legislature's approval of that, um, how is that going to affect uh, both Medicaid patients and providers uh, who are caring for some of these Medicaid patients, or will it affect any of that at all? It, it probably shouldn't. I mean, many of the other participants in the managed Medicaid program are for-profit companies. Mm-hmm. Um, Medicaid is a profitable line of business for most of the entities that work in it. Um, and it's it's not likely to have much of an impact. I don't think you know, I don't think Blue Cross and, and wanting to act more in the like one of the for-profit realms is suddenly going to make them be slow on paying claims and sure. like that. That just that's not in their best interest to do that. So it really shouldn't be a, a big issue. They're they're somewhat unrelated. So I mentioned at the beginning of the program that uh, Governor Cooper did a victory lap, you know, several months ago that the state was going to be expanding Medicaid. North Carolina to be the 40th state to expand Medicaid in the country, uh, in part because they're getting money from the federal government to do so. And they they held out longer. And I, I'm assuming they probably got more money uh, because of that. However, it's been uh, held up by two things. One, it was held up because it was uh, t- decided to be tied to the state budget. And since they haven't passed the state budget yet, uh, that it wasn't, you know, they haven't been able to get it through. And second of all, the state house has decided that they are going to sever Medicaid and casinos from the state budget and vote on them separately. And the state Senate does not seem to want to do that uh, at all. So my, my question for you, Ron, is why the heck is a, you know, casinos holding up the Medicaid bill? Yeah. So this is going to be this point of if, if you don't like seeing how the sausage is made, then probably turn the podcast off now. If it makes you <laughs> sick to sort of, a, but for those of us like me who sort of, while it bothers me, you know, I find it interesting, then, then keep listening. So, so first of all, the, the, the Medicaid expansion had to be tied to the state budget because there is some amount of state money in there. So um, it was a logical place, like a lot of things, like increases in church and teacher salaries or things like that sure. to, to roll this up and you're, you're going to spend a little bit of state money. Let's do this. So it's, it was part of the budget. The budget got hung up over the casino issue. There is a desire to allow four casinos in the state, um, in rural areas, very specific guidelines on where they can be. Mm-hmm. One of them is guaranteed to a, a native American tribe in Southeastern North Carolina. Um, but there, there's, you know, some issue around casinos and one of the people, Berger, who is holding this thing up, oddly enough, and this shouldn't surprise anybody. One of the casinos is going to be in his district. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there was an argument over the casinos and, um, that's what's held up the state budget. So the house now has decided to say, look, we can't hold up this budget any longer. We need the budget to go through. Um, let's peel off Medicaid expansion and the casino issue, tie them together at the hip. I have no idea what casinos have to do with Medicaid, but (laughs) they will be in one bill in the house. And then let's let the budget go through since these are the two issues that are being held hostage. Um, now the Senate, as you said, doesn't seem to want to do that. They don't want it split apart. Um, 
And there's even a question about whether it can be done because Medicaid expansion has been operating under a vehicle. It, the approval of it tied it to the budget. So they don't even know if they can legally separate it yeah. or if something else will have to happen. So we are still the, – the budget, I think, has been released. Um, the House is trying to push the Senate to um, pass the budget without managed Medicaid or the casino argument, having that be a separate bill. Nobody knows if the governor will sign a budget if it doesn't have Medicaid expansion tied to it. Um, and nobody knows if a, a bill that includes four casinos and Medicaid expansion get, get, can get through the House and the Senate. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of unknowns. The other thing to keep in mind here is part of what's tied to Medicaid expansion is the CON issue in North Carolina. Right. Yep. Um, because that doesn't get started until Medicaid expansion and then until funds from medical expansion get released. So there's this whole domino effect. There's also a number of entities, agencies um, that rely on state funding and state contracts that have to be renewed and are part of that budget that aren't getting paid right now, um, even though they're providing you know services. Um, and it's not like the day after the budget gets passed that those entities will get paid. The budget has to be certified, then there has to be contracts that are done. So this is gumming up the works all over the place. And, and you're right. It comes down to four casinos. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny because, you know, they, and I don't know about at the state level, but at the federal level, they try to put those cute little names at the top of the bills to, you know, make them sound more friendly mm-hmm. before you read the 500 pages of fine print. And I can see the one for this one now, you know, a bill to expand access to Medicaid and casinos in the state of North Carolina. Um, so it, there was one point where, uh, medical well, you Mar- know what the, go ahead. You know what the bill, the, the, what the bill is actually titled, don't you? What is it? The rural tourism incentive program. That's the casino bill. It, it has an official name, the rural tourism incentive program. Now, What's not to love about trying to increase tourism in right. rural North Carolina? Yeah, you know, nowhere in the in the title of the bill does it have anything to do with gambling. Um, yeah. So that was one of my. I loved that one about. Well, there's a kind name for it. Well, and and, and if I'm thinking of the right one um, for for Senator Phil Berger's district, that yeah. uh, uh, if you said southeastern North Carolina, if I'm thinking of the right tribe, that's probably the Lumbee tribe. Yeah, um, which is its own interesting thing because it can't get federally recognized because there's a law recognizing it and then banning it from working with the federal government. So there's a whole, yeah. another <laughs> political yeah, well, issue there with that whole, the whole tribe because well, the Cherokee don't like the Lumbee. They don't think they're real native American. We're getting on an aside, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, so this is how, how horrible the sausage is made. I mean, we're holding mm-hmm. up a budget and man, and Medicaid expansion. Yes. The Lumbee tribe is the one that's guaranteed it yep. in there. The one in burgers district is in um, Rockingham, I think. Okay. Um, the, that casino and, and the, here, the other interesting, and this is way too much inside baseball, the landowner that was going to sell the land to that one casino is now getting cold feet and trying to back out of it. Um, hmm. and saying he's not going to sell his land. And so now there's, you know, what happens if that occurs and maybe, you know, maybe burger will, you know, will walk away from this if he can't get the deal done because they don't have the land. It's just, the whole thing is a horrible mess. And again, the, the sad part is there are people who could use this Medicaid services who aren't getting it. And there are a lot of entities, um, nonprofit entities providing great services under state contracts that also aren't getting paid right now. Right. Yeah. W- wasn't medical marijuana one of the things holding this up for a while? Did that ever get dissipated? 
I, that one I don't think is any is any longer. I think it's down to just manage, uh, Medicaid expansion okay. and and the casino bills. I think that one went by the wayside. Well, and this kind of brings up we were talking about you know the kind of the idiocracy of how you know the sausage is made sometimes. But you know let's let's talk a little bit about the challenges of healthcare politics because this this affects both the state issue with Medicaid. It affects CON. Um, at a federal level, we were talking about the No Surprises Act and, and and Medicare and Medicare dollars being spent and how RVUs are changing. So let's talk about the challenges of that because, you know, you think about all the time they talk about the patients are getting caught in the middle. But oftentimes, like I said at the beginning, it's the doctors and the people that work for the doctors as well getting caught in the middle because now they're they're having a hard time, you know, to see some of these patients um, even though they might be losing money, they know that these are the people that need it most. Right. Well, and, and, and you, you pointed out perfectly. I mean, and, and I've, I've used this story, this analogy before. It's that old saying that the, the problem with elephants fight is only the grass gets hurt. Um, and, and you take some of these public policy things around healthcare and, and how they get handled um, politically. Um, right now, you know, we're facing the potential of a federal shutdown uh, right. at a federal level. Um, over nobody wanting to do a continuing resolution. Now, we're lucky in this country, I think, that to a large degree, um, our healthcare delivery system has not put the patient in the middle. They've taken the brunt of things. But let's say, let's play a scenario where the federal government shuts down and they're not able to process Medicare claims for a while. You know, I mean, you'll get paid eventually. We're just not floating the cash flow. What would happen to all of these seniors if large number of doctors said, look, if I don't get paid, I don't see? Right. You know, I'm sorry, but, you know, I'm not going to provide care if I'm not getting paid for it. When you start paying me, I'll start seeing these patients again. Now, we're lucky that doctors don't do that. Yeah. But in some ways, could you really blame them? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I can't get other services by saying, hey, I, you know, I'm kind of in a budget freeze right now. So, I mean, I still need you to come fix my pipes at my house, but I'm not going to pay you for a while. I'll pay you at some point eventually. Right. The plumber's going to say, no dice, man. When you get yeah. the money to pay me, then I'll fix your leak. Yep. So, you know, that's one of the things that I find really difficult in all of this is, you know, they're, they don't put the patient in the middle only because the doctors um, keep the patient from being in the middle. But that means that these doctors aren't getting paid. Um, and in the case of managed, of Medicaid expansion, yeah, there are people right now who if this budget had passed when it was supposed to back in the early summer – They'd already have that Medicaid card. Mm-hmm. Right now they don't. And, you know, and I don't want to be too melodramatic, but what about that family that wakes up and the kid has an ear infection and they think, I don't know if I can take him to the ER. Right. We don't have insurance. And if they had that Medicaid card, they'd be getting that kid the, you know, the antibiotics they deserve the next morning. So I don't know. It just it 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 bothers me that we're playing with people's health care and people's yeah. lives. If you have an argument against Medicaid expansion from a federal deficit, that's fine. I, I'm willing to have that argument. But I'm not willing to, you know, once that that law is passed at a federal level, um, start playing hostage with these people's coverage so that you can get an Indian casino. Right. That to me is ridiculous. Yeah. The best summary that we came across for this is from the Raleigh News and Observer. That's the newspaper there in Raleigh. And we'll have a link to the article uh, in the show notes. Uh, They are going to vote this week. The state house is going to vote this week on a separate budget and then the casino Medicaid bill. Um, whether or not the Senate, state Senate likes that is to be seen, but we will keep you updated here on the Flatlining Podcast and on our weekly e-newsletter, Friday Pulse Check. 
You can subscribe for that uh, right wherever you're listening to podcasts or flatlining.net. Ron, we're just about out of time, so I'm going to thank you very much for coming on the program again and, and talking about our, our the state that we can both call home, I think. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you. Miss an episode of the Flatlining Podcast? Well, now you can read a recap. Just go to flatlining.net and look right there on the homepage every Monday for a written recap on last week's episode.